Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman Captain David Campbell. I hope you had a chance to listen to the episode that dropped earlier about the bid award. I know our reps and our membership committee have received a number of questions about some of the results, and that episode describes and discusses how that occurred. In this episode, I'd like to talk about the MEC meeting that just concluded this week. And to do that with me, I have Will McQuillan, Chris Gruner, Ronan O'Donohue, and Will Swoveland, your membership committee chairman. Will McQuillan, perhaps you can start us off with an overview of what occurred over those four days, and then we'll get into some of the more specifics. Well, it was a good productive meeting. A lot of this meeting is just kind of to uh, evaluate uh, where we are. You know, what does the soil look like now that we've dealt with the, uh, the furlough threat that was upon us? And, you know, what does the landscape look like as we move forward? And as usual, um, the meeting will usually uh, include a briefing from uh, our national economic finance and analysis um, experts who uh, focus not just on the industry, but on Alaska and our position relative to the industry as well. Um, so it was productive in that regard. And maybe I'll just kind of deal with that in a, a linear fashion of how things happen. But we did start with that. Um, and it would probably be no surprise to any pilot listening that the recovery at this point, the forecasts and, and the recovery itself is fairly erratic. Um, while we have seen some positive trends in bookings since the April lows, uh, there has been a recent flattening of that recovery. And in fact, there's a lot of variation in expert opinions on just what the remainder of the recovery is going to look like. What should the forecast be? Um, and we've seen the initial optimism on some of this recovery checked by capacity adjustments this fall. And in fact, uh, Alaska issued an 8K on uh, this week on the 14th uh, with the adjustments for our, our forecast in the fall as well. Um, when it comes to business travel versus leisure travel, uh, business travel is, which is Traditionally, 29% of U.S. demand is just absolutely flat um, and forecast to recover at a much slower pace than leisure travel, which has been what has uh, been the wind in the sails so far in the recovery. Uh, they did do a nice comparison of Alaska to the industry. And uh, I think the important takeaway for the pilots here is that we do Alaska pi pilots and the airline fares better on um, several key metrics, uh, specifically metrics like liquidity and staying power um, throughout this uh the pandemic is um, we're second only to uh, to Southwest in terms of our staying power and the months of cash burn that we have to zero. Um, the company itself has uh, been able to exceed its cash control initiatives compared to what Wall Street had expected, and that's good. Like we've said many times before, um, until this recovery becomes more clear, it's important that uh, we have time and we do have time that the airline has money and staying power, they do. And that means that uh, as far as our position and what we do as an MEC, nothing changes and nothing's needed right now other than focusing you know, exclusively on pilot priorities. And, and that was uh, obviously a lot of what the rest of the meeting was, was looking ahead at the landscape and, and deciding what our priorities are and how we're going to execute next. And speaking of the pilot priorities, Chris, that's right down your alley, and you briefed the MEC on what your committee's been doing. Why don't you fill us in what you can? Yeah, absolutely, David. So as always, we're always looking from the pilots to drive what we're doing you know, in our committee. So that starts with understanding fully what your priorities are. So we took a lot of time to listen to the reps and to understand what they're hearing from all of you. 
Additionally, you know, we are going to run another round of polling and that will be October 1st through 7th. So that will give us another opportunity to kind of check and make sure that we're on track as we uh, look to solve your problems moving forward. So as far as the issues that we've been hearing, so uh, the first one is just the regional flying generally. So we've seen, right, the um, 175s moving up to Alaska and starting to do flying up there. Additionally, we've seen an increase in regional flights and 175s and Q400s, uh, you know, SkyWest and Horizon, flying mainline routes in California. So as we look at all that, it, it you know, it's concerning on its face. It's never comfortable to see another company flying your company's flying, you know, stuff that you used to do. But additionally, there's that concern, right, about the uh, 76 seats and 86,000 pounds that the industry has found is an acceptable standard to maintain small jet restrictions. So right now, if the company wanted to, right, they could add more seats. And that should be a particular concern to, you know, pilots up there in Alaska you know, wondering what that flying is going to look like in the future. And you might think, well, you know, the company said they won't do that. Well, they've also said in the past, right, that a small jet is 76 seats and 86,000 pounds. And we've seen that they've already moved off of that and are now flying, you know, Horizon flights and 175s that are 89,000 pounds. So above that industry standard. So I think, you know, as we're looking at these issues, you know, it's definitely um, a concern. And there's an industry approach, one we've put on the table to go ahead and address these concerns and make sure that we're part of the growth and the success of the company as we come out of this pandemic and look towards the future. Right. And moving up to 89,000 pounds isn't the first time that we've had a change in in what we've heard and what the reality ends up being. Oh, yeah. I can recall back in what flight path version 1.0, whenever that was. Uh, Mr. Minicucci, when he decided to bring SkyWest into the fold as a, a non-air group company that was going to start flying some of Horizon's jets when they when they went to an all Q400 operator and wanted to do something with the CRJs, it was, don't worry, it's just these 11, 12, 13 airplanes, whatever it was, uh, that's it. And I think if anyone looks at the fleet count now, SkyWest is flying significantly more than those old 12 CRJs from Horizon. Yeah, you know, Will, that sounds a whole lot like, you know, don't worry, we're just doing RMP approaches into Wrangle to make sure that, you know, we can use it as an alternate. Right. Right. I, I think these conversations, the point is, is that they remain relevant. Um, they always have been relevant. There have always been a pilot focus, job security and having real codified, you know, scope language instead of just uh, discussions and promises and and talking points. But it becomes even more critical in this COVID era environment while the company is looking for creative ways on the recovery um, to handle it. And we need to be partners in that recovery. Your focus is as a pilot group haven't changed on job security since uh, the pandemic. And I think that that it just underpins how critical it is that we remain focused on that and continue those discussions. Yeah, scope is a way the company can prove to us that they're serious about having us as partners in this company. Yeah, we've been telling them that for years, David. Yeah. You know, additionally, you know, the other big issues that we uh, talked about in the MEC meeting were around scheduling. So, 
looking at, in particular, I mean, there's several, but in particular, we're looking at uh, 25U, which is cancellation uh, in base is the one in particular that we're, we're looking at. And then also a 25V, which is reassignment away from base. So with a reassignment away from base issue, right, we have a clause in there that says that the company can only do that to maintain the continuity of the company's general schedule. So back in contract 2013, the negotiating committee you know, made sure that that definition of the continuity of the company's general schedule was in section two of our contract under definitions. And it said that meant to maintain, to uh, not allow cancellations or to make sure that a flight was not more than 15 minutes late. Well, that makes sense, but you're not going to know that 10 days out. So when you're left your base, right, and they're moving you on different trips, as you pass through bases away from your domicile, they should only be doing that if they know that one of those two things are gonna happen. So before you get to that point, right, you have the ability for them to put stuff in open time and let it sit, right? The day prior, they can assign a reserve, right? There's a lot of ways that they can fix that before it gets to you as a last out, right? Which is, this is, you're only allowed to do that if every other option has been extinguished and you've got no other way to prevent those things from happening. It is not a tool to hold on to reserves. That is not what it's for. So uh, it's important that the company follows the language that they agreed to and uh, got to make sure that when you are a line holder, you go out on a trip, that you are going to fly that trip as you bid it, except for you know this one very narrow circumstance. And we've heard loud, loudly from the pilots that there have been changes in the, the application of this language. And you know, the, the contract we've said it so many times is a bright line. And just because either we have time constraints or schedule changes or you know a dynamic environment, I guess is what I'm looking for in the COVID recovery, doesn't mean that the contract becomes any less of a bright line. And this is a, a real focus of your committee contract compliance of the MEC, that we hang on to that integrity. And I think that we, we need to continue to have conversations. And obviously, uh, you know, we set that expectation at this meeting. Yeah. And then the other issue we talked about was that cancellation in base. And so we discussed this on the last podcast. And on July 10th, um, we talked to the company and they said they would provide us a memo that they were also going to give to the schedulers that would explain how they were going to implement uh, or uh, cancellations in base. So they said they would have it the following week, and remember this is July 10th, and we still don't have that. Unfortunately, that's par. That's not abnormal. And, and that's disappointing because, you know, if we hear that you're going to have something to us by a certain date, right, then we, we expect to have that and get that information, and we can then have a constructive conversation about what we're going to do moving forward. But in the absence of that information, right we don't have a baseline we don't even understand what they're doing because it appears to us that they just look at the contract and just interpret it in the most convenient manner for them at the time and maybe that's not happening but i don't have a basis for that conversation at the moment and additionally it really does it undermines trust when you tell me you're going to get me something by a certain time and then it's just delayed and delayed then it you know it becomes next week and then next week and then we never get it so i, I think having you know framework we can all agree to is really important uh, on everything, but particularly in scheduling here as we're uh, trying to get on the same page and move these things forward. Yep, it, it is. It's just so frustrating to 
find in some arenas that we're able to broker effective problem solving and have good, candid, pins down discussions and, you know, continue to advance the pod's interests. And then it just seems that from time to time that that, uh, that level of awareness and uh, reaching out to work with us on problem solving just doesn't exist in certain levels of, of uh, flight ops. Yeah, well, along those lines, I think over the last several uh, months as we've been navigating this uh, COVID issue, that you know we've been developing all these different MOUs and we've been doing it by looking at um, problems and figuring out how to solve them instead of staking a position in the ground and just holding on to that. So it's really garnered, I think, a better way forward for both us and the company. And we really hope that we can leverage that moving forward as we continue to try to um, build a better relationship and way forward uh, here to continue to solve your problems and to work on those. And, and I'm just concerned that some of these things are starting to be an impediment to uh, continuing that and may you know, impact our ability to do that moving forward. Yep. Yeah, and just to stress that point, I mean, it's been a really good example of how working in that manner can create something that is both good for the pilots and also good for our company. And there's, there's no reason why that can't or shouldn't continue into the future. Yeah, David, and what's interesting is well, maybe interesting, but not surprising, is that as we take a look at these issues that are front and center for our pilots right now, these are the same ones that we identified as we started our Section 6 process, right? These problems are not going away until we're able to sit down with the company, look each other in the eye, address the issue on its face, and figure out a way forward. So that's really where we'd like to be and to be able to advance these and move them forward. And we are concerned that um, some of these issues that we're looking at right now as far as, you know, information sharing, uh, creative uh, interpretation of our contract is going to have an impact on our ability to do that constructively moving forward. Yeah, and we, we certainly communicated that and both the MEC did, and I guess we'll talk about that maybe in a second, directly to senior leadership. And it's an ongoing theme in, in my discussions with them. That this is a broken process. It has got to be fixed. Well, since you bring up engaging senior leadership, let's talk about that now. Yeah, sure, David. Uh, this meeting was maybe a little bit unique. We, we frequently will have um, briefings or updates from some members of, uh, of management, just depending upon what the themes are or what's happening in the meeting. And in this case, uh, we had uh, Shane Tackett came over along with Gary Beck, um, as well as John Ladner, to kind of update us on... Uh, the state of the, the airline, state of the industry as they see it. Always a good opportunity to, you know, listen to what they have to say and for obviously for us to engage and provide our perspective on a number of things. Um, I do like it when they provide, uh, what they did was they did, gave us a recap of the material that they'd covered at the most recent board of directors meeting. And it's nice to then see, it really does validate what we hear from economic finance and analysis on a regular basis, that um, our own independent analysis is pretty sharp. It's typically right on. But they did provide a, an overview of recovery trends, bookings, cash flow, um, and kind of a look at the competitive environment, how things are changing. And as I said, the most important part was that the MEC was able to provide some real candid feedback regarding some uh, pilot concerns. You know, uh, fleet decisions obviously being paramount here in, in the bids, how it impacts pilots and how it's impacting pilots uh, in a number of the Airbus bases, where there's just a lot of uncertainty about the fleet, right? Um, yeah, we did, as uh, Chris Gunner just talked about, 
voice concerns about the scheduling and the application of 25U, 25V. Um, you know, that these are, are things that we need to address. And as a matter of fact, that it's resulted in a meeting that'll happen next week. So we'll update that. Um, and job security scope and our firm expectations that meaningful job security language needs to be part of our CBA. I think that was uh, said clearly more than a couple of times, um, as well as in, along those lines, grave concerns regarding uh, what we're seeing with E-175 flying up in the Anchorage market. Um, you know, I, as I kind of alluded to, I guess I want maybe a little bit more detail on, we, we did talk about what's happening in San Francisco and comments that were uh, raised in John Ladner's communication to the pilots weeks ago that kind of alluded to the fact that the base might close, might not. We don't know. We pressed for for clarity, you know, and the San Francisco reps did do an excellent job, I think, of explaining the frustrations that the the company's lack of clarity on the the future the San Francisco base has had on those pilots. Um, they did a good job, especially of expressing the human impact. You know, the a lot of these pilots are the same pilots that we know were impacted by the JFK base closure, and uh, you know, simply the the inability to plan. And there's so much uncertainty and the inconsistent messaging, it's, it's just not helpful. And I think that that point was cleanly made. Um, the response that, that we got back is that, you know, there really isn't an ability to provide immediate clarity on the future of San Francisco absent a fleet decision. Um, they are at least, they say, six months from being able to make decisions on the base. And the good news is that they've committed now to having a discussion with ALPA throughout that process. And I know that that's uh, is still not an answer that the, the San Francisco pilots could really use today. And that's probably not palatable, but uh, we will be kept in the loop. And of course, we will be advocating for the pilots of the base. Will, I'm glad you're able to have these conversations with senior management, but to what degree do you think it moves the needle? How significant do you think these talks are? Well, I, the more important thing is not me, but the, the MEC. I mean, obviously, the MEC at large has the ability to communicate with the most senior leadership regarding pilot concerns directly from you um, and you know, hopefully garner a little bit of an understanding of what our concerns are and what our priorities are and what our expectations are is the most critical part of that. Um, does it make a dent? You know, at least you know that you've voiced the concerns at the top and, you know, now the ball's in their court, so to speak. Um, I did get, uh, well, three, two phone calls and a follow-up email. Everybody's trying to address the concerns raised or at least make sure that they understand them clearly. Uh, and then we've been promised responses on them. So we'll see. I think the, the dialogue is useful because there's just uh, always an importance to voice pilot concerns. Right. It, you know, I think at a minimum, too, it helps make sure that the mid-level management is accountable to the senior level management. Yeah, I guess that's what I was alluding to, is that sometimes we, we run into that issue where uh, people at the very, very top are just not aware of mm -hmm. what's necessarily happening at the lower levels of, of this organization. Well, Ronan, let's turn to you. You and I gave a brief and our sort of dual com and strategic planning roles and rather than toot my own horn i'll let you carry this water um what what did we have to say to yeah. let me see thanks david yeah we we figured that it's around time that we started to take a look at the um strategic plan and you know in july of 2019 we published the executive summary to the pilots of the strategic plan of last year obviously the landscape has changed quite a bit so 
we felt like it was worthy of uh, sitting down, kind of going through that again and doing that exercise, which involved um, several meetings, actually, even back in the, uh, the Virginia area and then back out here with various committee members, including the negotiating committee, to make sure that we were on track with our strategic plan or to adjust to whatever there was amendments needed. We got that work done on a preliminary basis and we shared what we had done with the MEC over the last couple of days to kind of look back over the past year, see what progress we had made and where we could make adjustments. And it's in the very elementary stages of being done and um, what we the work that we shared with them today, they had some really good input. So take it back, gonna review it and make the changes that they selected or that they requested, I should say, and then bring it back to them with the hopes of getting it uh, thumbs up by maybe October and released to the pilots later on this year. But another thing it was good to remind all of us about is that we have a plan and that we have been acting on our plan that, that was formulated a couple of years ago. And, you know, a lot of people know it as safeguarding our future. And um, a lot of the success, I think, that you saw recently with the MOUs has been a, a result of the foundation that we've laid. And I'll, I'll throw that out to you yeah. guys, too, if you want to comment. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And one of, one of the things that was really important in our original strategic plan that we identified was um, getting pilot unity and getting an increase in pilot unity and activism. And as we go into a period here where, you know, we've got several, a lot of pilots going out on long-term ex uh, extended leaves, we want to make sure that those guys are staying connected. They're just as important and just as vital that they stay connected, stay involved and keep helping us push our interests forward. Um, I can't stress that enough that I know that things are, the environment has changed quite a bit right now, but our goals haven't, as Chris said, and really what makes what, what's needed to get that across the finish line is the pilot body and not us. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, I think there's some I mean, you hear it out there on the line a little bit of like, hey, the union's doing a great job and they got this. Yeah. And it's like we got this only because there is so much unity behind the negotiating committee and, and the MEC. Right, correct. And that's a fear of mine. And that's that's something I want to continue to to foster is just that relationship with the pilot group themselves and making sure that we can keep them active, keep them informed. And that's, that is the best thing, even for guys going out on um, extended incentive leaves, there will be different programs coming up here and different things that we're going to do to make sure that we're reaching those guys. But it is the most, it, it is the foundation of unionism at its best. And it really is, you know, what got us to this point today, so. Yeah, and Ronan, one of the, I think most important things about that strategic plan that you know you guys work so hard to put together is that it allows all the committees to coordinate to make sure we're addressing those pilot issues that you brought up. I mean, the negotiating committee is just one piece of this, right? I mean, we're often the most visible, but it's just because we're really the end state of all the work that all these other committees are putting into something. We just organize and communicate it. But you know, you've got the scheduling committee, the grievance committee the uh, training committee, right, the FOCWA guys. I mean, there are a ton of people that are just doing tremendous work in this union, you know, and it, this gives us an opportunity to take a look at a common set of goals that the MEC puts out in front of us and then to work together and coordinate to address those issues. Yeah, thanks, Chris. That's a great point, actually. Yeah, we've said it a few times, but it's really the last six months is challenging and dynamic, I guess if we want to use that term again, as it has been, is we've 
really, really been successful because of the efforts of individual committee members. and Everybody's just staying on all cylinders and their work ethic is, is off the charts. Yeah, and I probably could take this opportunity to put out another plea as well to pilots who are interested in volunteering. There is so much work and there is so much stuff going on right now that we really do need people to continue to step forward, um, especially as a lot of our volunteers are heading into incentive lines. Um, there will be some committees that are, frankly, going to be low on staffing. So I, I really would put a plea out that if you have any interest in doing anything at all, we have that link on our website. Um, to and David, maybe you want to um, highlight that in the show notes. But we have that link on our website, I believe, to uh, to step forward and volunteer. But that that is something that's just it's it's foundational to our success. Yeah, that, the link is on the committee page. If if you look at the committees, one of the first things that pops up is volunteer, and and of course another great way to do that is to contact your rep, tell them what you're interested in. So Chris and Will, we've we've already spoken about scope and an important issue that is another way i think that that is related to us is with our new alliance with american and some of the flying that is being done by that company and that brings us into the uh, scope and alliance and the code share briefing that we got so will can you fill us in on that yeah and part of that uh, we did have a briefing from the chairman of the scope co-chair and alliance committee uh, and had a chance to kind of evaluate what the opportunities and risks are in this new relationship uh, with american as well as our pending uh, partnership here in or membership i should say in one world Um, you know the company is on track to become a full member of one world by year's end um, and that, you know, for the first time will mean that we'll actually be selling partner flights and having our code on other One World member flights. Um, yeah, I think it kind of bears, everybody thinks this is new and it maybe bears mention that the Alaska MEC has already been welcomed into the uh, One World Cockpit Crew Coalition, known as OCCC, two years ago, uh, thanks to a partnership that we already brokered through our MEC with the, uh, um, the other partner airlines. Um, and we'll be attending that meeting, the OCCC meeting in Dallas in October, which will give us an opportunity to continue discussions um, around this relationship and what it does mean for the pilots of all the airlines. Um, you know, we were briefed. We had the opportunity to kind of uh, ask when we had the senior leadership in the uh, in the room about the finer details of how it would impact us. And uh, we will have better clarity after the agreements are made available. And that is one of the conditions that we have is that we do get uh, unfettered access to read through the signed agreements. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have a much better feel for what lays ahead and what the opportunities are and what the threats are. Well, guys, thanks for recapping that meeting. And thanks, uh, especially Swollen, for all the information about the bid. Before we close, Will, do you have any final comments? Yeah, I, I think it just bears repeating kind of where we are and it very much it, it dovetails with what we did during this meeting. You know, the whole purpose for this MEC meeting is just considering, you know, where we are and we're entering a, a kind of a new phase from a daily focus on furlough mitigation, um, you know, back to, you know, which is one huge pilot priority, right, to all the other pilot priorities that still require constant focus. So. You know, and instead of one big alligator near the boat, we're now continuing to have numerous smaller ones, and they're still equally important to address. Is I guess a, a way to think of it. 
Um, like we've alluded to on the podcast so far, you know, contract compliance and enforcement are just going to continue to be really critical focuses of your MEC and um, certainly of all the volunteers here. It's not lost on us in any way, shape or form as we discussed that scheduling issues are critical and we're just not going to tolerate any loss of that bright line. There's a right way to address these issues and problem solve and that remains our focus. Um, as Ronan said, you know, probably the, the big thing that kind of keeps us concerned here is that we're entering this new and unique environment where engagement and involvement remain just as critical as ever. I mean, you know, nothing changes in that regard. But one third of our pilots are going to be on some kind of a leave status, right? And so, you know, the strategies to ensure that there's no excuse for pilots not to have information are things that we're working on. Um, but it's going to require, and that's kind of my ask of the pilots, is you've got to stay engaged. And it's going to take some self-discipline to stay engaged because, you know, what happens will affect your career regardless of whether or not you are physically here on the property. So, you know, just because we've now, we've kind of entered this period of having dealt with the most immediate threat, um, it doesn't mean that anything changes. The work of your MEC, the focus of your MEC, and the threats that, that we have and the needs that the pilot group needs to have advanced, none of that's changed. And so, you know, we're really going to be working hard to, uh, to advance those interests and make sure that everybody stays engaged as we move forward. Great. Thanks, Will. And thanks all of you guys for coming in. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. And I would like to thank our listeners, especially our pilots, your attention and understanding to these matters is important. It gives strength and ability to your negotiating committee and to your MEC to move the needle on your behalf. Job well done. Thank you. That's all for now. Until next time, you've been listening to the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell.